0: Welcome to Mind Things, a podcast about how psychedelics will change your brain and change the world. My name is Trey, and I'm going to be talking to people in the psychedelic space entrepreneurs, writers, investors, researchers, and people who have had profound experiences using these substances. My guest today is Robbie Bent. Robbie was introduced to me by Corey Harrison, who's the head of product at Field Trip. So thank you, Corey. I met Robbie a few weeks before we recorded the podcast and I could tell in 60 seconds that I wanted to interview him. He has such a fascinating story, huge failures and huge successes, lots of personal breakthroughs from meditation and psychedelics. He's had no money. He's had lots of money and his latest business started when he made his own ice bath in his backyard. I could have talked to him for hours. I already can't wait to do part two with him. Here's his official bio. He's building Inward, a company in the mental health space, combining physical spaces, ice baths, and saunas, and the largest library of breathwork content in the world. Inward is building a cutting edge community for improving mental health in a fun and accessible way. Prior to Inward, Robbie spent four years leading ecosystem growth at the Ethereum Foundation, a $180 billion cryptocurrency. He also runs a clubhouse show on psychedelic medicines has done four Vipassana retreats, and is an avid kite surfer. By the way, if you like these episodes at all, do me a huge favor and leave a review. I appreciate it. All right, let's get to it. Here's my interview with Robbie Bent. Robbie, hello. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Trey. Super excited. So you've had a really interesting journey to get to where you are now. Can you take me back to the turning point that sort of led you down this path that's led to inward breathwork?
1: Yeah, totally. Uh, There's been many, it's always a long winding road, which entrepreneurship can be, but the very start of the mental health journey, I was always a a seeker. Even in high school, I did a thesis project on meditation I was reading meditation books, and this is before there were even yoga studios in a city. It was like very strange, at least the city I grew up in was a small city outside of Toronto. There was nothing like this and was, was interested. I was reading like Carlos Castaneda, strange books but never took it too seriously. And around 24, I started a company at 28, had a pretty big failure. So it was a global telecom company. We'd had many dozens of employees and had raised a bunch of money. And my family had invested, friends had invested, personally I had invested, and I spent four years grinding at that business and it didn't end up succeeding. And as a what result, exactly? I went through, so was there, it was a system on a SIM card that allowed you to provision virtual identity. So you would be in Canada, you would travel to the UK, we would provision you a Vodafone identity and you wouldn't pay roaming fees. This is in 2010 mm. tech companies and like doing startups this is just getting started as a thing. And I was in Toronto where the community was really small at the time we We're building like Pretty big vision and we could give a super wealthy person the SIM card and they would travel and then it would send them a text. You just saved $700 on that phone call because at the time roaming was insane. Like five it was five bucks for a meg of data and just like using a Blackberry snow, crazy apps and. Over time, roaming prices just declined much faster. I made tons of mistakes. It was my first like real company. I made hiring mistakes. I didn't really know what was going on. I didn't know about Lean Startup, which is this approach that builds something for somebody, make sure they love it, try to do it as cheaply as possible, build like the minimum viable product. And in this case, it could have been just building the software on the SIM card using iPhone 4 users who were going from Toronto to the UK and only having one carrier grade partnership. And like we went all out, we built the billing system, the software, and we wanted to work in every phone and and sell it in different regions. And so it was just trying to take on too much uh, and the spend was too great. So really interesting learning lessons. I didn't realize that at the time learning how to build a team, how to assess a product, how to talk to customers, how to raise money from investors. I did every single role at that company. But at the time, when it failed, you know, it was kind of the last man standing. It was really difficult for me to feel like a complete failure. And I, I only did a startup mm-hmm. in the first place, because I wanted to be successful. I felt in my wow. heart, like, if I'm not successful, I'm a nobody, people won't like me, I won't be able to afford things, I won't be safe. Females won't like me. This is a 24. These are big sure. feelings and important feelings. And so I went through a period for two years, struggling really hard. At the same time, I was drinking pretty heavily on the weekends and doing a lot of drugs. And I would do that. What were act we actually to... doing
0: like professionally during this time? This is two years after you. So this is during the company. This
1: is like the last two. Uh, the last. The last years. So it was a four-year journey. The last two years were like very difficult for me mm-hmm. personally. Also seeing my friends like becoming, you know, building their careers, becoming successful. Mm-hmm. And it was the first time I dealt with a really big failure to the point I'd have dreams of being in an office and someone yelling at me and failing and like wake up like it was crazy and at that point I you know company ends I'm living in my parents basement don't know what I'm gonna do they're kind of like hey what are you gonna do and I'm like wow this is a strange skill set I have I'm like this generalist what can I do with this and not feeling super confident like at that time was afraid to even just reach out to strangers and now it's become a superpower so it's really funny. Cause I was pretty scared to put myself out there.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, and as an entrepreneur, like you definitely have to put yourself out there. And I decided like, I, I want to change. And, and so I heard about, knew about meditation. I was like, I should heard from a friend, like, oh man, you think you meditate. You need to try this Vipassana retreat. And so he had a call with me, explained it. I decided to move to Israel for. An amount of time just completely get out of Toronto have a new surroundings and I knew one of our investors who lived there and he wanted me to come look at deals with him and so I moved to Israel I'm not Jewish I don't speak Hebrew I lived in a crazy town like just on the border of Gaza where there was like missile alarms and and mm-hmm. then during Christmas I didn't want to pay for the flight home so I decided to do a Vipassana retreat and I did it it ended in New Year's and for people who don't know what that is it's a meditation retreat, 10 day retreat, where you spend 10 hours uh, in meditation, informal formal meditation, there's two meals in the morning, vegetarian meals, and it's completely silent the entire 10 days. And what I wasn't expecting was how physically demanding sitting is like mm. very, very intense experience. And for the first time it started to bring up, like I have ADHD also, hence the drive for pleasure, seeking materials, experiences like work, extreme sports, drugs. And meditation was the first thing that kind of helped me to move out of sensation, stimulation and the mind. And it was the first time I I felt it. And so, you know, you think of your practice before 10 minutes a day for two years, that's hundred hours. So it's it's like one Vipassana is just, Mm -hmm. you're getting all those reps in a very short time. You can really feel what it's like to get into a deep meditative state. And for many people, if they want to try meditation, I say, that's the best thing you can do is go and do this because within the 10 days, you'll feel a taste of where you want to go and it will give you the courage and the knowledge of this is available to me. And once you feel that it's like uh, very powerful. And so That kind of started my wellness journey. And then I just started stacking on. So the next thing was psychedelic medicines, which I learned about on that retreat. I actually went with a friend from the retreat to try LSD at a, at a Israeli campus in Haifa, which is a random place. So I drove up in the morning, 4 AM, completely dark, met these two people. And on campus, we walked out into the woods, took the LSD, watched the sunrise and they didn't speak any english and so for me i'm like just in the woods in israel alone what am i doing here i'm really thinking those things like what am i actually yeah. doing here and what is what am i doing with my life and pretty profound experience uh, like more fun it was very much like just enjoying the scent the different sensations the smells mm-hmm. the tastes I, we had some candy and fruits that were fantastic and I wrote an article about that experience, which I could put in the show notes. So that was really cool. And then from there, my life started to change. I started to think more around, hey, how perhaps alcohol and sobriety would be a better path. And I looked it up online I researched. I found ayahuasca. I booked a retreat to Peru, went down to Peru. And this is before, like how to change your mind and a lot of the mainstream
0: how do these things actually come up during the vipassana retreat was there a communal aspect to it or you literally didn't say a word to anybody for 10 days but you were just around a group that ended up yeah, bonding with after
1: so it's like 180 it's so funny man it's such a crazy experience it's 180 people and the one i went to in this place called the Ganya bet and wow. you are instructed not to look anyone in the eye not to gesture to anyone not to communicate at all and what that's how that sets the tone is like you sit down the person beside you is not going to talk to you while you're eating Mm -hmm. and you're not going to talk to them so there's no desire to even do that and it's keeping you in such a state of presence and focus it's not distracting you so when you talk you're thinking what is this person going to think of me what should i be saying Uh all kinds of thoughts are triggered and you're trying to reduce external sensation as much as possible. And I remember very intense emotions come up and you also start to realize you're not in control. Like we think event happens and I feel an emotion. So, you know, I get fired from my job. I'm sad. It's not actually the case. We often emotions come up and then we attribute action to them, attribute causes. So in the brain, the emotions can arise first. And so you're, Sitting in the meditation, it's like this intense anger is boiling up, like very intense, or like sadness, and people are crying. And you know, where are these emotions coming from? There's no sensation. What's happening in your brain? It's like, close, I've heard this this on a lot of you know podcasts, but closing the tabs of the mind. If you think of mm-hmm. your mind as it's like a you know Chrome browser, yeah. yeah. And just one by one, like processing these emotions that are coming up. And I was in my room, and we shared a room as a first time student, and the roommates showering and, and in my head, how dare this guy shower. It's so loud. Like <laughs> he doesn't respect my meditation time, like getting so pissed. And I don't even know the person. So, you, you know, the other cool thing is that you meet people, but you don't know them. You don't even know their name. And so you're mm-hmm. looking at these people you see for 10 hours, like walking and you, your mind makes up stories. It's like, oh, that person must be a soccer player from Brazil. And then you find out it's like a doctor from Italy and you're like, whoa, and, and you, you just realize your mind is always doing it. It's always making judgments, assigning personalities, assigning narratives. And so when you change your mind state that much, it just gives like such a really, such a cool window into existence and, and presence. So that was the guy, my roommate who I was so pissed at and I actually like the last day you're able to talk to each other. And for the last day you do what's called a meta meditation. It's a loving kindness. And so you're just imagining, you're feeling so amazing, just thinking about love and feeling empathy for others, feeling empathy for the country, the city, like everything around. And all 150 people are doing this for hours and hours. And so the vibration in the room, when you finish, it's like, oh, we just made it through what's for some people, one of the hardest things they've ever done. And then you've just been like filling your heart with these feelings of love and gratitude. And then you talk to everyone, you like giving people hugs. It's like, you've known them forever. So it's such a cool experience. So we met after that and he was like, Oh, if you've tried this, you know, the psychedelic medicines can take you to the same space. And then I really didn't know much about using these therapeutically with intention. And so that was the first time I'd heard, okay, we're going to do this with intention, which is pretty
0: cool. So tell me about Peru now.
1: Yeah, that was a really intense one. We flew me and me and a friend, uh, one of my best friends flew down there together. And yeah, so I don't know how much, you know, about these types of experiences, but fly to this little town of Iquitos and I had a really a mission here was like, I don't ever want to do drugs, specifically cocaine. Again, I want to learn about why I have this desire and like really go to the depths of that desire Mm -hmm. and end up getting in this boat, like Kind of, I of. Mean, if you remember the Disney movie, The Rescuers Down Under, it's like a like yeah. dilapidated riverboat. It was like that. And we like 45 minute trip into the Amazon. I remember jumping out of the boat, swimming in the river and just thinking like, wow, again, one of these moments of what am I doing here? Like yeah. I'm in the Amazon river swimming. Like, this is crazy. And just the clouds looking like giant marshmallows, like complete calm, beautiful sunshine, no stimulation no phone working. And we pull up. To this like amazing center they had this giant maloka, which is like a ceremony room and raised gateways in between each each room and hut and so you would walk o- above the water on these stilts like uh-huh. in the middle of the jungle a super beautiful place and just like no emfs no electricity like very bare bones and this was a style of place where you go if you need deep healing. It was one I found online that was like one of the most more hardcore versions. And I was like, okay, that's what, what I want. And so- Hardcore very, in what sense? Hardcore in the sense that if they tried to do something like this in North America, there would be absolutely no way. Where they're like, you're taking the medicines and they're saying like, hey, more, like the more uh, you drink, uh, the, it, yeah. it could be dangerous in, in some ways, I, I think also. But you'd hear people like getting chained <laughs> tied up because they're just going through what sounds like an exorcism. And I I don't think, you know, ayahuasca is necessarily scary or it it can be challenging, but it really depends on like the set setting and the energy of a pretty science-backed person, Mm -hmm. but the, the energy of the room, like what people are going through in their lives and what's gonna come up. And if people have dealt with a lot of trauma, these traumas come up, these emotions as the, you know, for psychedelic medicines the default mode network The part of the brain that generates sometimes called the secondary conscious, the part of the brain that generates your identity, you know, your belief system that part shuts down new connections happen. And as a result, this like fight or flight response happens in the body and powerful emotional traumas and not, not just like, you know, uh, any type of trauma but it it can happen from hey somebody made fun of you when you were young or like your mom yelled at you or you did badly on a test or like you didn't get that first job in high school it could be anything like the smallest of things that you didn't process i really believe it's stored in the body and these medicines bring these things up and so you can get caught in these loops dealing with old emotions that can be very challenging but you can also process them and like let them go and afterwards you just feel inc- incredible. Like you feel did so, you, like, you have any,
0: go. did you have any sort of intent going into this experience or something that you wanted to work through?
1: And was primarily like, why am I struggling with addiction? And I want to change that particular behavior. And so, hmm. you know, I read a couple books before I went on like deep meditation. I was meditating every day, which I, I still do now. After the Vipassana, I was journaling. I was very intense about like, this is my intention. I had an intake call with them and prepared. And my friend and I even shared, these are the emotional things we want to work on. These are the spiritual, these are the physical. And the one that stands out mostly was just like, I want to quit cocaine forever. And Mm -hmm. so in this experience, all kinds of, you know, it was four experiences. Some were beautiful, some were Really challenging, and I've heard from people with ADHD, and this isn't science-backed; it's more just from experience with hundreds of people in our community. But people with ADHD specifically find the psychedelics more challenging and really struggle. So that that's a an interesting one I'd like to look in and learn more about. And then two people who would had addiction problems when they're dealing with it really struggle, and in some ways, it felt to me like it was just this like thought pattern that was being ripped out of Mm. my mind. And it's like, you don't want to let go of these crutches you have. And then you let go and it's just, it's wild, like super exhilarating, thrilling, but challenging. And so some nights I remember just, you know, feeling like I wanted to to die. I would hit the red button I would do anything to make it stop. I was like clenching my bones and kind of could hear them cracking and just felt so terrified. So like
0: each, each of these experiences
1: last? Each experience, I would say, is six hours on average. Something strange happened to me on the last one. And, and generally, the <laughs> experience is when you start the brew, the ayahuasca liquid. It's it's made of you know two different compounds. One is a five meo inhibitor. It just MAO inhibitor, sorry, it's confusing something there in the stomach, and the other produces the the DMT. So it's the ayahuasca vine, which is purgative, and then the chacruna plant, which re- releases the the DMT. And so mm-hmm. in the brain, and the beginning of the path, it's like more oftentimes uh, less strong, and then it's boiled down, boiled down. So by the fourth ceremony, it's like significantly stronger. Uh, which is super interesting. And you can tell in the taste, like the first time you drink the cup, it's it's not so bad. I remember drinking my first cup and like, oh, why well, this isn't that big of a deal. Yeah. What, what's the whole, like everyone's talking about it. And when yeah. your brain starts to associate that taste with the purging, it's like, you know, it's coming. And by the fourth no. night, it's hard to even get it down. Like, it's <laughs> crazy. You just know what it's going to feel like going down your, you know, into your stomach. It's so, it's very wild and intense. How quickly
0: and, after that do you feel the need? to purge
1: it depends it can be different sometimes it's like you don't purge at all and you'll just feel you know you don't feel the need and sometimes it's you really want to purge it feels like you've been poisoned and you just can't let it out and then i think for me at least this is why it's really powerful is because it combines this purging of this like you know poisonous ish thing not poisonous in a dangerous way but it's purgative and it combines that, you know, primal feeling of like throwing up or, you know, downward purge they call it, yeah. uh, with releasing these really powerful emotions, and it just feels like I could feel like a demon in my feet, like coming up and leaving my system, and it felt like I was just letting go of negative thoughts and and negative thought patterns, so. Some nights I would purge, some nights I would purge multiple times. Sometimes you purge so much you don't even know. Like you're like, where is this coming from? Like there can't be anything left. And it's It's like riding a roller coaster. Like you're going up and finally when you purge, it's just complete bliss. It's not the same as if you have the flu. It just feels amazing to be letting go. And it always to me feels like, I'm in the tent and I'm making so much noise and rolling around and everyone yeah. must be looking at me. I'm losing my mind. And I always, I think I struggle with being safe. And it's one of my core needs that I, one of my core fears is like finding mm-hmm. safety and just being a child and like having that fear. And then it manifests itself. And am I safe financially? Am I safe in relationships? Mm-hmm. And so when I take large dose psychedelics, I feel like I can't get safe and it's bringing me back. To this emotion as a child of lack of safety and I'll try to put the, go under the blanket and be hidden. And I feel like there's just like a giant sun ray coming down, like illuminating me and there's nowhere to run and nowhere to hide. And like these challenging shadow parts of the subconscious, these parts that you haven't agreed are like, you need to deal with them.
0: So after these four experiences, are they building on one another in terms of you overcoming your, your addiction or like, I I guess, take me to some of the highlights or or realizations that you had and what was the carryover from that, I guess, after you left. So two
1: realizations from that particular trip that stick out and there's more, but two that, that really stick out. One was, me as a 13 year old being in my elementary school and a bunch of kids smoking a cigarette in inside and like you know a bunch of older kids and yeah. then like hey like do you want some and me being like yeah cuz i'm like this is badass it's cool you don't want to yeah. fit in i want to be like liked yeah and then smoking the cigarette and then from that point on being really like thinking drugs and alcohol were cool and that's mm-hmm. like a rebellious thing it's like part of my identity and when I saw that, it kind of came into mind that, like, hey, I'm 30. Why is this, this is not cool anymore? Like, what does this have to do with anything? Like, why do you want to be rebellious? And who am I trying to 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 prove that to? And so that was a huge realization of the reason I had even started doing these things sort of evaporated. And then the second one was being bullied as a child by I mean one of my. Mom's friends' sons, maybe two years older, and just pinning me down. I hadn't thought about this memory. And since I was a kid, I didn't even know it existed. And it was like him pulling me down and punching me in the arm and just like kind of torturing me to some degree. And so I kind of like associated that with I'm not lovable. And I think that was one thing, but I'm also like. I have a very strong inner critic. And so this drive to, like I mentioned, be successful, it was like really important to me. And so to prove that I'm worthy of love. And so this lack of self-love is something that comes up in, in most of my ceremonies. And so kind of realized that. So those were big realizations, but also just like the feeling, I felt like my brain had been rewired and the urges were just no longer there. I felt like I had a fresh, like, imagine you till the garden, the soil's fresh, you can plant new seeds. Yeah. And when I came back, I just had such a strong meditation practice. I decided in my head, like, I'm just not going to drink for a year. I met my fiance. It was like absolutely amazing. Like an angel got me into the, the next step on my health journey. But with those things in place that I think it really gives you one month, three months, six month new look on life, new neural pathways, new neural rewirings where you can make behavior, like real behavioral change but it's up to you. If you go back to your same environment, you don't have a strong intention or goal, you'll immediately fall back into your old habits. And so I've mm-hmm. seen people use medicines hundreds of times and, and the results don't follow. And I really am a firm believer in like having a strong community and having an intention you're sending to the subconscious mind. And I think if you do that and you have strong daily practice, and so why, one of the reasons we built inward Word you can really make like long-term behavioral changes. So
0: tell us about inward.
1: What is it now, but what was also the sort of seed of that idea? So that where I ended off was the seed of like the change. And so from that day, you know, I just started living a happier life and everything got better. I joined the Ethereum Foundation pretty early on, which is now, you know, $200 billion smart contracts, like leading crypto platform. And for me, it was the first time I felt monetary success, career success. I was around like the smartest people I'd ever met and I felt validated. I was building a big team, it was so much fun. I was living in San Francisco, like meeting some of my tech heroes. And for the first time starting to feel like good about my life, my fiance was with me and I had a strong meditation practice and I would use psychedelic medicines a couple of times a year in like a ceremonial slash intentional way. And using those two things, I found like a lot of personal power and whether it was luck, you know, who's to say everything just turned around for me from where I was only two years, a year and a half before, and all my dreams started to come true. And while I was doing this job, I was obsessed with these things, but very hard to convey them. Meditation has a pretty long onboarding as we've discussed Mm -hmm. before. Like you don't necessarily feel it in 10 minutes a day when you're starting and there's amazing tools and resources for meditation. Like it's the best practice. It's so fantastic. But for most people, it's not achievable. And then psychedelic medicines, there's a huge stigma. Like when I first did ayahuasca and I don't know, five, six years ago, and it's not, it wasn't on podcasts and in books. And it was very like, you're doing drugs. And I would try to tell people like the benefits. And it's like, you know, my mom was like, what are you talking about? And so I was really obsessed with, okay, I see people and most my friends who are more and more successful, they seem more and more unhappy. And I think there's just a level of overwhelm that's present in society as a result of phones, but you're just on all the time. And as a result of being stimulated, your nervous system is almost always in stressful state. Which creates these, it just creates uh, problematic feelings. So, you know, if you're listening to this now, you're probably like, oh, I've got five tasks tomorrow, and then like my kids and my financial safety. And I looked at Twitter, it looks like the world's gonna end, and the news, and you've got this Substack newsletter coming to me, and I got 20 Slack messages, and it just never ends. And 20 years ago, you wouldn't need to plan to be present for the most part. You go home, there's not so much grabbing your attention. And things have changed. And so your baseline. Now you need these practices to baseline deal with everything that's coming at you. And so I'm looking at this problem, like, how do I help people? And, you know, I start going to bathhouses and I'm I'm sober. And if something I would do for fun is I didn't want to be around alcohol. So my fiance introduced me to like Wim Hof and Rhonda Patrick. I read 70 research papers on cold exposure, hot exposure, longevity. Found out this is like one of the best things you can do. And then at the same time, we would go every week, no phone. Conversation's amazing. And wake up the next day, feel great. Like, wow.
0: And what is that actual experience at a, at a bathhouse for those that don't know?
1: Yeah, so bathhouse, Russian banya. This isn't. It's in all cultures since like the beginning of time. So like Roman discourse would happen in ancient Rome. People would gather to discuss academics. The Temescal in Mexico and Latin America, people would go into these three-hour sweat lodges for spiritual experiences. The Hammam in uh, Turkey, Budapest, the Onsen in Japan. It's mm-hmm. this very common that humans would heat the body, cool the body. And so a bathhouse is coming in, checking in, towel, robe, Heading into usually three, possibly different saunas, sometimes of cold plunges, sometimes a restaurant, sometimes a treatment room. And they range from spa where it's completely quiet and it's like a treatment. So you're going for a massage, you're doing some hot and cold, it's quiet. It's like possibly romantic. It's very old school, like a spa. The flip side is like the Russian Banya, the bathhouse where it's more social. There may even be people drinking. There's like a restaurant and it's a cool, I don't know if I'd say cool vibe. A lot of these places are like a bit older, but it's Mm -hmm. fun. It's super healthy. They often have like venic treatments they'll do with these like giant oak or birch leaves. The Russians predominantly use oak. The Finnish use the birch and they'll use them to move the hot air around in the sauna in a ceremonial Uh format. They'll use them to remove dead skin, to uh, infuse the essential oils from the plants into the skin. So there's... A lot that's done there. And so I saw that and was like, this is awesome, but it was also like very old school. So if you ever, you know, used to go to the gym and you went to a 24 hour fitness or a good life it was that vibe, yeah. not a lot of attention to the lighting, the music, the smells, making it a premier experience. And so mm-hmm. I was doing that every week and learned about the health benefits and decided to build an ice bath in my backyard with some partners. And the ice bath, you know, we just every night had people over two people, four people, five people, a hundred days in a row. And then started experimenting with sound bowls, essential oils, koshi chimes, different things. And the idea was, firstly, it was longevity, right? It was like, come here and, and feel alive. And then we noticed that it's actually the entry to meditation at like zero degrees. And so people were getting in the cold triples, the norepinephrine in the brain, which is the neurotransmitter responsible for mood, attention, vigilance. So physiologically you're present. And so I'm seeing people Mm -hmm. like 50 years old, ADD workaholic, never been able to stop. Bam. One minute. Wow. Like I'm here. I feel my body and come out and just feel alive. And then we see people just like talking, hanging out around it, having the social experience and it's, it's beautiful. And so said, hey, we need to continue this as it got colder. And so we converted the my garage, which is behind me, into a wellness space with an ice bath and a sauna and like a tester. And the idea was it would be a community space for the neighborhood. And then each day, two people, five people, 10 people, 20 people are booking. So we implement a booking platform. We get insurance. We turn it into a real business. And at the space, we then find out it's not even people are coming for a meditative practice. They're coming to connect with their emotions and with each other. And then we realized the problem we're solving is actually loneliness. And so it went from an ice bath in a backyard for longevity to solving for loneliness in today's society. And what I mean by that is you come in and we like to weave in things I learned and psychedelic medicine experiences and through mental health coaching and therapy. And maybe it's a gratitude sharing in the sauna. Maybe it's turning the sauna the lights off to complete darkness and having people share their fears and imagine them sweat out their fears. Maybe it's a ice bath where there's an eye gaze and people connect their breathing to connect their heart rates. There's just many different styles of programming that we added to make it more like a class. So the vibe is a really cool hospitality hotel or restaurant aesthetic. And then a coach, like you'd find at a boutique fitness class. Was walking you through like how to be more grateful yeah. how to feel that how to connect to your heart and connecting people with their emotions and then as a result they make friends they talk they're not on their phone they share what they're struggling with and we saw people there you are know, two people in the sauna they meet one sauna the guy ends up going to whistler which is a giant ski mountain mm-hmm. on the west coast for a powder skiing weekend trip and we're like whoa you know so we're starting i i never had anyone reach out to me when i was working in tech hey Thanks for what you're doing, and I had yeah. like legit 25 people this year call me like, man, you changed my life. I'm like sober, like this community. I've made friends. I'm around people that are like share my values, and it was kind of what I wanted to build. Like I knew I was coming back to Toronto, and I was worried like, am I going to fall back into my my old habits? Because at Ethereum, I'd be living in San Fran and Berlin, as I mentioned, and I get home and I'm worried. And sure enough, we manifest out of nowhere this health center and a whole community, and I'm just really passionate about providing people with a community where they can find people who are on that journey and that journey now for many, it's maybe it's meditation, maybe it's psychedelic medicines, maybe it's entrepreneurship, maybe it's resilience, maybe it's fasting and and just health. But how do those people have a community space at night that's going to be healthy and like effective for them and not be around alcohol and allow them to still connect with their emotions? So the cool thing about the ice, because of that impact it has on the brain, same as the hot you get into a different state, so you become way more vulnerable. So you can start getting people to think about gratitude and it's not like hokey and it's cool. It's in a way like, wow, the music's cool. Yeah, I'm gonna think of something I'm grateful for today. And so we saw that happening and we just decided I had to commit to that full time. And so I left the Ethereum Foundation and then during COVID we had to uh, close down obviously because of the lockdown. And so some of the breathwork stuff we've been experimenting with. So I did the, the William Hoff training. We've done like the XPT training, the oxygen advantage training, a bunch of these different breathwork modalities, the elemental rhythms training, and decided to just offer this on Zoom for people that were struggling. And so we just mm-hmm. offered it for free on Sundays and first 20 people, then 50, then 100, then 150. Then we're getting emails and like crazy testimonials. People are asking for the recordings and you put them on YouTube, and people are just donating money. We're like, like what is happening here? This is crazy. Yeah. And so- We made a course and then people paid for the course and they liked it. And then we're like, they're like, oh, we want more content. So every week now we've been putting out four or five videos. And I feel like we have the most breathwork content in the world. Now the largest library at this point across sleep, morning routine, evening routine, anxiety, emotional release, grief, all kinds of different emotions that we're trying to convey. And the thing that's different about our breathwork is like, it's the entry level, it's like how you first feel a change. And so if meditation's been hard for you, if you struggled and any of those, you know, sleep, as I said, Mm -hmm. anxiety, in twenty minutes, it's going to make you feel alive. It's going to change your state. It's going to give you some space from your emotions. And And for many
0: is is it guided like the entire time, 20 minutes, there's someone speaking to me for 20 minutes. about. Yeah, um, so the
1: really cool thing we've done is use sound effects and music to guide you. And so you'll hear breath in, breath out. You'll see a video of people from our community on site. And then we partner and pair it with electronic music. And so the idea is, can we make meditation, mindfulness more like a berry's bootcamp class mm. or a spin class or a boutique fitness class where you have that, that ability to really feel it and have those at endorphin rush. And again, there's tons of different styles on our site. There's ones for sleep where you're getting more into the parasympathetic rest and digest nervous system. But I think what makes us different is like having this, this thing that you really just feel, it makes you feel something. And for people that have struggled with meditation, they're like, wow, okay. I get it. This was fun. And so, if you're trying to develop a new habit, one of the things I've learned from reading things like Atomic Habits, you need really fast feedback loops. And if you have mm-hmm. a feedback loop, I get in the ice bath, I get out, I feel good. I do the breath work right after I feel amazing. You can start to bring people into this world. And what we saw from the physical space is that, like, breath work was the next step. After breath work, you can push people further down the mindfulness and psychedelic medicine stack. So, maybe then it's a daily meditation practice, maybe it's a meditation retreat. Maybe as a psychedelic retreat, maybe it's some type of fast. So maybe it's going in the cold water outside at minus 10, you know, so it's kind of, what is the starting point with a focus on like fun and aesthetic that you can bring people through that funnel? And it's working. Like we have a large number of customers now, people are paying, they love the site, I'm getting messages almost every day, like saying just, Hey man, you know, thank you. Like this has changed my yeah. life. And so it feels really good.
0: Where do you think you are in that process? And what's the, what is the end goal? You know, probably isn't an end goal. It's called just a perpetual state, but I imagine you, you still have room to grow or, or places that you want to go. Uh-oh. Yeah. I don't
1: even right. think of scratched the surface. And so the, the working on the self love is still, it's like a massive iceberg. And you think of, you're setting your patterns, your beliefs, your thoughts, they're based on actions that happened when you were a child. And so those patterns are so well ingrained. You're, you know, I started my journey at 30. And so Mm -hmm. turning those like underlying subconscious beliefs that generate your thoughts around, it's, it's it's an effort. And so, you know, still for me, What changed first was my actions and sometimes i wonder have i changed at all but then i look back and it's i've been sober for for so long you know now i I don't care about making money like i used to i don't have material things like i used to and i don't feel different but those actions have changed you know in my community i'm like super high integrity person i'm a leader i have like tons of friends i'm helping them like all the time And, and so those are things that i just didn't care about before, or maybe I did care, but they were like deeply covered by hurts and rejections and, and failures. And so accepting those and letting them go. I feel now like I'm just so I'm working on firstly, my ultimate passion, like this thing changed my life. So now I'm giving it to others. So I get to create these beautiful ceremonies I had mentioned, like amazing breathworks, choosing the scripts and the music and learning. Last weekend, I I dove deep and did two breathwork courses. Okay. I'm learning about the foundational benefits of breathing. Like how cool that's my job. So it's just Mm -hmm. so, you know, I get to talk to you on like a podcast, tell my story. It's so awesome and fun. And so I'm very grateful. But at the same time, I can still get stuck in old habits of like working too hard. So we're trying to launch two businesses. Now we're opening a second space, a more legit version with a 40 person sauna, crazy nightclub sound system, four ice baths, tea room, and it's gonna be our big like flagship launch. And so we've just started construction on that. We're aiming to open in September and it's a lot. There's interior design and branding and mm-hmm. operations and financing and like dealing with the lease. And then we have this space uh, to think about and then there's breath work. So I'm trying to get the word out. I'm trying to go on podcasts and talk to influencers and just share the message. And so I can easily spend, sit down, have a coffee and spend 12 hours working, like this never stops. And that's what I mentioned, like it's constant stimulation. And so I know in my mind, I have a number of practices, the hot cold, I'm doing meditation daily still, I like light therapy, I have a bunch of things that try to just take an hour off per day to do something where I'm not thinking. So maybe I just go for a walk. I love riding electric skateboard in the summer. That's one of the things that like makes me feel the best. I have a handpan, some type of activity that's fun or like a game that's gonna allow the brain to stop. I have like little tools I use around my desk to improve my breathing patterns, but I can still be like, oh, I'm so excited to build this thing. Let's go, let's talk to more yeah. people. Let's try something new and uh-huh. let's hire more people. It's so fun. So I think one of the biggest things is just having patience. And that's again, it's like, why do I need to build all these things? partly to help people, but it's partly because I want to prove to myself that I'm successful. Mm-hmm. And so that same feeling is still there. It's just no longer manifesting itself and like, cocaine and all-nighters and like doing something that I don't like. So
0: what was that little tool that you just held up a second ago? Oh,
1: it's called the relaxator. It's from this like breathing legend. He's been in the breathing game for 20 years. His name's Anders (laughs) Olson. He wrote a book called conscious breathing. And so he's one of the first to talk about, he's actually in James Nestor's recent book, breath, which if you want to learn more, it's like the best starting point. And so. Him and Anders Olsen go to a university, maybe it was Stanford and they do a test where they mouth breathe for a number of days and they show the impact mouth breathing has on the body, which is insane, like super bad. And so this tool he's created, you put in your mouth while you're working. And when you're working, every time you're getting a Slack message and email, you're getting stimulated and you're tending to breathe through your chest. Or if you're concentrating, you hold your breath and you'll really mess up your breathing patterns. And as a result, you put this in your mouth, when you breathe out, it creates friction and it maintains. So if you're looking at your computer six hours a day, seven hours a day, it's gonna help you maintain your breathing patterns without thinking too much about it. So Mm -hmm. personally love the device, really cool. I'm using it in the day, I'm taping my mouth at night. Yes, huge believer. So
0: what's actually happening that makes breath work so powerful? Is it all about controlling your heart rate or are there other things that are happening yeah
1: there's a it's very would be similar to you asking me like what makes exercise valuable or what makes <laughs> diet valuable there's many different styles and so i can go into to a few but the main one is your foundational breathing and a metric to measure foundational breathing is your co2 tolerance or vo2 max so co2 tolerance is how much carbon dioxide your body can hold before breathing out This is a sensor in your brain. That's measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your body and Mm -hmm. when it hits a certain percentage of the blood oxygen levels, you're you'll breathe out. And so what's, what's really interesting is when you breathe in oxygen comes into the lungs, it's picked up by the blood. The blood goes to the organs, the hemoglobin in the blood holds that oxygen delivers it to your brain, your heart, your stomach, all your organs. And if you don't have enough carbon dioxide, it's called the Bohr effect the blood will hold on tightly to the oxygen. It won't deliver it effectively. And so you can actually measure this with the CO2 tolerance test. You can Google it, or you can just in the morning, breathe in once, breathe out once and hold your breath. When your diaphragm contracts, it's telling you like, Hey, that's that's when you need to breathe out. Your limit. So if it's yeah. under 20 seconds, your breathing patterns are poor. And why might your breathing patterns be poor? Generally through mouth breathing. And why does that happen? Because you're eating processed foods, acidic forming foods you need to breathe out carbon dioxide to reset the pH levels of the blood. So that's, you know, one reason, another one, you're stressed all the time. Your fight or flight system is on. It's not meant to be stimulated all the time. When it's stimulated, it can sometimes take an hour to to breathe back into a relaxed state. So you're stressing the nervous system, you're breathing through the chest, all the nerves connected to the fight or flight nervous system are in the top of the chest, so you get stressed, you breathe in the chest, you breathe out too much carbon dioxide, and this CO2 tolerance just goes down over time. And so most people, especially even athletes, like they do this test and it's under 20, it's not an acceptable rate. And so it's impacting sleep, it's impacting anxiety. So foundational breathing, using something like mouth tape, holding your breath, we have exercises around this, or using something like the relaxator is going to slow the breathing. It's going to improve the amount of carbon dioxide in the body and it's going to boost your body's ability to tolerate higher levels of carbon dioxide, mm-hmm. so that's great. That's like sporting or foundational style. Then you have these psychedelic breathworks like Holotropic, you may have heard of Wim Hof, yeah. they're all using super ventilation, hyperventilation, and what's happening. body's breathing out so much carbon dioxide so you'll sit there for in some of them three hours and just as fast as you can and what's happening you're breathing out so much carbon dioxide the blood vessels actually constrict the blood holds on to the oxygen shuts down the oxygen delivery to the brain the neocortex the part of the brain that creates identity shuts down and you're in a state almost similar there's no scientific proof around this but you're in a state almost similar to death and as a result all of these emotions start to come up, and wow. the that style of breathing kicks in the fight or flight system. So you're creating this activation of the nervous system, and then when you're shutting down the mind, you're allowing these stored emotions, these stored traumas to come up. So you see like very powerful effects with people with PTSD. I've seen thousands of people, crazy stuff happening where they're releasing yells, screams, movements, just remembering from doing things. breath work. Just from breath work, yeah. You can have a like. Legit in that holotropic style, full-blown psychedelic level experiences where people report going back before their birth, like very wild things. Whereas a you know, skeptical person like, what but when you experience it yourself at a minimum, stored emotions come up and are released, and you just feel amazing after. And so that can be done even in a 30-minute state using transformational techniques, Wim Hof techniques. Uh, So that's I think that is when you're talking about meditation, that style of breathing has gotten very popular because you can Mm -hmm. feel these emotions. So we like to combine that style of breathing with amazing music. And then when you're in that state of that brain shutdown, you get we we start to do a guided visualization and you can really feel the visualization because you're not thinking and ruminating. And for many people to focus on the breath to the beat, it's much easier than just, hey, sit there and notice your thoughts. Mm-hmm. So it's just like the, the best, most accessible first step towards boosting your mood, feeling better.
0: I've, I've definitely heard that before, that holotropic breath work in particular can get you to these states similar to a psychedelic experience and, and have been skeptical. Uh, have obviously heard a lot of anecdotal uh, examples of that. But I think your explanation just now about what's actually happening in your body and your blood vessels, constricting and oxygen, not going to certain parts of your brain. Like that clicks that, that makes a lot of sense why it's like physiologically happening that way. Is there any physical danger to some of this breath work? So for, if you're pregnant, there is,
1: you will feel something called tetany, your hands will claw up. You'll feel temperature changes in the body. You'll feel your mouth potentially go dry. And I don't think there's any danger in terms of damage. And generally what people feel is like frustration, blockages, and they they start doing it and say, ah, I'm afraid to go further. Mm -hmm. And they just modulate the breath, come back to normal. There is, and and so oftentimes we tell people like, if you're feeling that frustration, you're feeling that blockage, a lot of times that's when, the biggest breakthroughs are about to happen. It's like going mm-hmm. into that fear and letting it go. There is some danger in that. This style of breathing is turning on the fight or flight system. It's initially, sending blood to the brain, your body's you know sending blood to the muscles. It's in a stressed state, and so it can. This is the same thing that's happening uh, during trauma, right? So if you think of Here's a good example, a nice analogy from this legend in the trauma space Peter Levine, who created the somatic experiencing, but he would talk about a deer or a gazelle on the safari in the woods eating. It hears you know a twig break and boom it's it's in like ready to run. yeah now if there's no lion there, nothing happens. it goes back to normal. If there is a lion, maybe there's a chase in that chase the deer escapes it will then sit on the ground and shake shiver out the traumatic release and let that emotional response get out of its system. For human beings, we don't do that. We store the emotional response. And Mm -hmm. as I said before, there's a lot of research and beliefs around storing these traumas or emotional responses at the cellular level. So you think of something that happened to you that was traumatic. You can remember back to a time you felt awkward, unsafe. Perhaps it was at work, someone made fun of you, you got rejected, you failed at something that feeling in the body is stoic. You can feel it like your body tenses, your breath changes. And so when you do the style of breath work, you're turning on the fight or flight system, and then you're allowing your body to release these stored emotions. It's like amazing for, for clearing emotions, but for some people, especially who've had very traumatic experiences, if there's not a guide present or somebody with trauma training, I can bring up very strong emotions, especially callotropic is a very it's two years of training. You know, it's a three-hour ceremony. You sit for someone, they sit for you. They open and close the ceremony. It's very strict with the exact protocol, and it's because mm-hmm. you can release these emotional traumas. So, you just want to make sure if you feel uncomfortable that you have somebody available to chat
0: with who has experience. So back to inward, is, is that also the name of the physical location as well? Or yeah. 30%? Yeah. So the physical location was inward
1: and the digital is inward breathwork.
0: What's the dream plan there? What do you want it to become?
1: Yeah. So my dream plan that I'm working on now and not trying to get too carried away is just physical spaces in and you know, every city and that's the weekly place for discourse. You're going with your community. You're hanging out in a healthy way that makes you feel inspired and cool. And then, when you go home, you use the app, and the app helps you get into your mindfulness journey. And so, you're doing breath work one, two, three, five times a week. And then there's a community. And in the community, you continue to take courses, make friends. And it's much easier to make friends digitally because there's less friction. And so, mm-hmm. the dream is that in this community, you're from LA, you go to Toronto, and you're like, oh man, I don't know anyone. And you can pop into the inward community, you can say, hey, who's going tonight? Many people, endless people have like strong values. They're interested in mindfulness and consciousness. They're interested in health. And so it's the community space that allows people to gather, to share their emotions together, to go on their journey together and to continue their learning. And so all these things we've mentioned today, if you're interested in them, any of these parts of my story, I want to allow like you to meet others who are as well to yeah. help you on your journey. And that, that's the ultimate dream.
0: That's amazing. I, I, I just, I love the story so much. I definitely, I, I say would have considered myself a skeptic of breath work without having ever given it a real shot or giving it a chance. And I, I'm all in now. I'm getting right in there. I really enjoyed uh, hearing about all this from you. And to be honest, every other sentence that you said, I, you know, sparks 10 other questions that I have. So if it's cool with you, I'd love to do a, a part two at some point.
1: Totally. 100%. Would love to. We don't usually, it's nice because I tell the story a lot, but I don't usually go into that level of detail about my psychedelic experiences and about some of my challenges. So they were just cool questions you asked. So it was just uh, stuff that I don't normally share. So it was a nice one for
0: sure. Awesome. Where can people find out more about uh, N Word? So at inward breathwork
1: on Instagram, www.inwardbreathwork.com online. We have like many free trial options. If you just want to test a couple breathwork sessions to see what it's like at go inward, go underscore inward on Instagram is our physical space. And then you can follow me at Robbie bent, R-O-B-B-I-E bent one on Twitter. And I'm talking about this stuff every day. I also have a clubhouse on psychedelic medicines on Monday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern with people from MAPS and Vine Ventures.
0: Amazing, you got a lot going on. Right, that's the problem. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, Robbie, thanks so much for doing this. Cool, yeah, thanks, Trey, I really appreciate the invite. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the episode or know of anyone who might benefit from hearing it, please subscribe and share. You can also sign up for the MindThings newsletter at mindthings.co and find us on Twitter at MindThingsCo. Thanks again and stay tuned for the next episode very soon.